Welcome back. Thanks for joining me and Collins for another episode of the Leaders Who Love What They Do podcast and one of my favourite times of the week. For those who don't know me, I'm the founder of Blue Bottle Coaching and I work with leaders across a range of countries and industries to help them transform into the leaders they want to be. I'm absolutely delighted to have Martin DeBoer with me today. He's joining me from Mexico City. So Martin is originally from the Netherlands and started out in forestry many years ago. After a very interesting career, he is now a senior leader in the International Committee of the Red Cross, otherwise known as the ICRC. And at present, he's head of operations for Mexico. He's a specialist in humanitarian action in areas of conflict and violent situations and has worked all around the world for the ICRC in Pakistan, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, with posts in Washington and Geneva too. He's now working in Mexico, where he also has his family. Welcome, Martin. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here and thanks for dialing in on a Sunday when we were able to find a time that works across the time zones. It's absolutely a pleasure to to meet up and and talk to you as well and indeed i'm glad we could make it work with the seven hour time difference yes. that we have <laughs> thanks martin so let's let's just have a look at the at the red cross first so many people know the red cross or the red crescent and know that they play a very important role in times of disaster or war and we see the icrc in the media as often providing medical assistance in areas of conflict but i know that you do a lot more please could you briefly tell us what areas the icrc are involved in and what you personally do absolutely um, the icrc is is a humanitarian organization rather than a medical organization and i think that's important to remember so it aims to minimize suffering from, from conflict and situations of violence through protection of people um, from the violence from the perpetrators in terms of prevention trying to prevent that the violence uh, against people happens, that there are legal frameworks such as the international humanitarian law, that is the law of war or the war, the law of conflict. Um, it tries to bring assistance where uh, governments or other organizations cannot bring assistance in those islands. This can be uh, medical assistance, but it can also be uh, water, uh, water trucking or water pipes, it can be livelihoods, it can be all kinds of different assistance. And then we cooperate with the national societies of the countries where we work. The national societies are the Red Cross or Red Crescent societies in each country. And those are the, probably the ones you see the most actually. So I think it's a, it's a wide range of activities that we, that the ICRC as a humanitarian organization uh, implement. Okay, and and what do you personally do? So I am here, the head of operations uh, for Mexico. Here in Mexico, um, we have a big program linked to the missing. Mexico, unfortunately, has uh, officially recognized seventy six thousand missing people, and we try to help their families in the search of their loved ones, in the identification of bodies in developing legal frameworks and protocols and standards so that um, so that people can be found and identified. My role in that is that I manage um, all the teams and all the operations 
to do with the humanitarian work that we do in Mexico. So um, I guide direct work with the authorities, to work with the families of the missing, to work with migrants that we help as well, um, to work in communities and making sure that they have the facilities and everything else that they need to be able to do their job. I see, I see. And uh, what's really amazing, Martin, is that you started your career in forestry. So how did you move from there into international humanitarian work? And what brought you to the ICRC specifically? During my studies in forestry, um, I did my thesis in the Rwandese refugee camps in Tanzania in 1995. And there we looked at the environmental impact of uh, such large refugee camps. And that immediately um, raised my interest in humanitarian work. Um, I applied, nobody needed a forester. Um, and so I worked in forestry in Nepal and there they needed actually interpreters. So foreigners who could speak Nepali, which by that time I could to work in the prisons. Um, and so I joined the ICRC as an interpreter um, during the conflict between the government and the Maoists in Nepal, um, and then continued my career uh, within the ICRC, so pretty much since the year 2000. And what, what attracted you to the ICRC to, I mean, to stay with them for such a long time? What is it that, uh, that, you, that you feel so passionate about? I'm, I'm a very strong believer in, in humanity, in that people uh, can help each other, are willing to help each other, um, should help each other in, in difficult times at crisis, be it natural disaster or conflict. And I'm, I'm an absolute dedicated humanitarian worker. I think uh, whatever we could or should be able to do um, to help out people to overcome such a crisis, uh, the ICRC, together with all the national societies, so the movement of Red Cross and Red Crescent, is a very strong movement that can reach a lot of people and try to help a lot of people overcome crisis and build resilience. And this is fascinating for me. It, it's fascinated me from day one um, and it brought me to many different situations and many different countries. And also that variation, um, I believe is absolutely wonderful. And just to see the power of humanity the, the power of people to survive, to overcome, to help each other is is amazing. Mm, and the, the the collaboration is it seems to be something that you focus on quite a lot. Correct, correct. Collaboration of of first and foremost neighbors, people that help each other, um, but also the national society, the volunteers uh, of the Red Crosses or Red Crescents that are there locally that live or come on the community, and that mobilize immediately as soon as there is a crisis um, and and the collaborate with all parties that can ensure that people can overcome the crisis can be governments can be ngos can be un organizations can be the military can be uh, non-state armed groups um, yes it's it's a lot about collaboration mm -hmm. and uh, with all those with all those interesting missions that you've had can you tell us about one that for you has been particularly satisfying professionally I think the ones that marked me the most are of Sri Lanka. Uh, Afghanistan is a very hard country. 
um, physically hard, as in it's very dry, it's difficult to live there, there's not a lot of water. So the people that survive there and that live there um, are also quite hard um, with each other, <laughs> unfortunately, but, but also shaped by the environment. And to be able to work there, to build connections, to work with the people there, I think was very satisfactory for me. Um, the second mission, Sri Lanka, uh, it was the last stages of the, the war between the government and the Tamil Tigers. It was a very difficult time, but I think we as, as ICRC and also other organizations, we really managed to help a lot of people. And so it was satisfactory in what we were able to achieve. So the ICRC still still stays present even after a conflict has finished then and they, they don't just leave everyone to it? No, we've, we very often stay in countries for a while after uh, because you never know what the situation might bring, if the situation will last, if it's sustainable. Um, of course, there is lots of um, work sort of a consequence of the conflict. There is the missing, there is detainees, there is all kinds of people uh, who were affected by the conflict and need years and years to recuperate from. We're still in Vietnam and Cambodia. People who have lost limbs, who need prosthesis and artesis, need that for life. And so um, the ICRC and, and other organizations continue uh, much after conflicts as well. Demining is another big program. When, when a lot of mines are laid, it takes years and years and years to, to do demining and to make the country safe again. So just listening to what you're saying, you have a, you have a huge number of, of different types of professionals then who are working with you. And this is something that I'm very interested in, in the way that teams are managed in the ICRC, because you have the reputation of creating these very high performing, agile, resilient teams, which are multinational, multilingual and multidisciplinary working in zones of conflict. So really under a, a huge amount of stress or potentially, how do you form these highly effective teams and how do you support Support them as a leader? I think one of the key elements is your objectives, your baseline objectives, which is we want to try and minimize suffering and help victims. And if everybody in your team from outside for short periods of time or the people that have been there for many years um, all believe in that same objective, it's, it's much easier to bring people together, align them uh, and work towards a certain direction on how that can be done in the best way. Another thing is of course, appreciate and acknowledge the expertise that everybody brings. Um, like you said, it, it's multidisciplinary, it's multilingual, it's, it's multiple experiences that people bring to the table. And I think it's very important to acknowledge that. Um, local knowledge from people who live there, which we call resident staff, as well as external knowledge um, that comes from people who, who move around the world and we call mobile staff or expatriate staff. So I think the second thing, the first thing is the objective. The second thing is the acknowledgement, the respect, making sure that everybody is acknowledged uh, equally to work in that team. And then so, the situation. So how do you do of that? Course, how do you do? Is that by watching your communication? How do you, how do you actually do that in a in a practical way? A lot of it is about communication, and there I think a leader does play a crucial role um, to make sure that indeed everybody feels heard, feels equal, and 
you, you do have a mission. The situation often requires a fast pace, a fast response, um, and a certain sense of urgency. And I think that sense of urgency sometimes can help people get together. Um, and so you as a leader need to make sure that within that urgency, everybody finds their place quite quickly um, and, and finds their role. Now, you also know that people come with experience and knowledge uh, and technical expertise. Um, so it's a lot about allowing people to bring that to the table and bring that within the team. Um, and so practically, um, it's a lot about, of course, coming together, making sure that the platforms are there, that you can have the discussion, that you can have everybody bringing the best to the table, and then going to the communities that you want to help. Um, so there is an enormous logistical element to it as well. And the ICRC has, through the years, institutionally developed of course, the systems to be able to respond quickly. That's a, that's a really very complex, isn't it? But, and I think it's so interesting where, that you started with people being aligned with the values, with the with the mission, and and having that sense of urgency around values, uh, but where people are allowed to be experts as well. So it's a, a delicate balance, but clearly one that works extremely well. And I think, if I may, what is very important also is to allow. Um, moments of rest it's you, you cannot run or sprint a marathon yes uh, that's something that I've been using along throughout my missions because it's it's very natural for people to want to jump in and continues to want to do things but at some point people get tired and it's only yeah. natural so pacing your response is very important especially in emergency situations. And we see that now with COVID, um, COVID-19, all the health personnel that is exhausted after months and months and months of high pressure, high, very tense situation in which they continuously have to respond. So um, trying to keep a pace within yes. that urgency, within that is, is, is crucial. Yes, yes. So really paying attention to the well-being of your staff as well. Correct, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So as a as a leadership coach, I, I often get clients coming to me who want to transform the way they lead their team. So obviously this is very interesting for them. So what would be your top tip to leaders across all sectors and industries who want to create a more agile, resilient, inclusive and high performing team? I know it's a big question. I think leaders need to recognize what their strengths, what their weaknesses are, what their assumptions are, what their behaviors are um, to be able to recognize how people respond to the leaders and how how the leaders respond to the teams i think that's that's the first so being um, self-aware so self-awareness self-knowledge um, is is crucial a second part is of course the team itself so how does the team interact with you as a leader but also among themselves um, does everybody have the space? Does everybody have the capabilities? Does everybody have the capacity? How can you strengthen that? How can you, again, bring out the best in people? How can you indeed make them accountable? Um, so I think that the, how to work with and through a team is, is another crucial element. The third one is the environment. 
is how does the environment influence um, your, your functioning as a team, what you need to respond to, how quickly you need to respond or, or how much time you have to develop strategies. I think a recognition that that environment is constantly changing. So you're constantly adapting and not adapting only as an organization to what products or what services you might bring, um, but also uh, how it affects the, the team dynamics. Sure. Oh, that's uh, that's really interesting. Well, thank you so much, Martin. That was really interesting. Thank you. Um, if listeners wish to contact you, how, what's the best way for them to find you? The best way would probably just be via email okay. or LinkedIn. Or LinkedIn. So I can, put the, I can put that on the show notes. Exactly. I think the LinkedIn would actually be the better option and, and people can put that. You can put that on the show notes and then people can contact me via it. Okay, great, great. Well, thank you so much, Martin, for joining us and sharing us your fascinating leadership experience with the ICRC and for giving us lots to ponder on there. Wonderful lists. And thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us. So for more information about Martin, please visit my website, bluebottlecoaching.com and go to podcast. Don't forget to leave a little review. We love that. If you're a leader looking to progress in your career and transform what you do, do join our free private Facebook group called Love to Lead, where you can access a five-day live challenge on how to reclaim your time. The next challenge is starting on the 7th of December, so don't, don't hang about. For more details, go to the homepage on my website, bluebottlecoaching.com, or see the link in today's show notes. This is Anne Collins. Thanks so much for joining us and for listening, and do join me again soon to meet another inspiring leader who loves what they do. Goodbye.